You got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, their to industry. Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. Three, two, one. We are back with another episode of Electric People. The man in front of us is Mike Evans, is one of the leaders in the San Diego market, franchise member, and a friend to all. What's up? What's up, guys? How's it going today? It's going great. Thanks for having me out. Dude, we were talking before we started rolling. We decided just to start rolling where um, you grew up in Japan. How did you grow up in Japan? How did I grow up in Japan? Uh, Grew up or just lived there for a block of time? No. um, So... I was nine years old when we first moved to Japan for the first go around. Uh, my dad was a was a he's the he's a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Ended up being a mission president over in a place called Nagoya. When you were nine. When I was nine, yeah. And uh, we were we were there from ages nine. I was there from ages nine to twelve, so for three years. And uh, went to a Japanese public school. We were the only uh, white kids, or what you call gaijin. Um, is Gaijin like foreigner? Oh, yeah, okay. foreigner in Japanese. Is it like derogatory or it's cool? Um, no, there's a famous book called Gaijin. Yeah, it's like well, it's, it's like, like they called me Shingo uh, when I lived in Ecuador. Shogun, I was cool Gaijin. With it, yeah, it's like half and half, I would say. But but yeah, it was uh, it was fun. Um, we I I forgot English for three years of my life. So you full immersion only could speak Japanese for a little bit and uh, and then came back to the states and enrolled in ESL. <laughs> really? Yeah. Really? You were in ESL. <laughs> wow, it's like it was such awesome. like an identity crisis at such a young. But nine years old going into a new language and a new culture. I mean that would have to totally shape you. It was. I mean honestly, it was probably the three funnest years of my life. Um, me and my little brother, we, we became super close, best friends during that time. And we made a ton of friends uh, at our local elementary school. Um, yeah, it was a blast. It was a blast, nothing but good times. And then you came back and you were the weird kid that was in ESL. Because, then I was the weird you're kid, you supposed yeah. to speak English. <laughs> the Japanese kid that right. does it was not me look Japanese. And, Where'd you move yeah. back to? Where'd you move from Japan to? Uh, we moved back to Salt Lake, Salt Lake. Uh, up in the Avenues area. And then when I was 16, uh, my parents got called back to Japan. Um, and uh, so I was there ages 16 to 17. And then I served my mission from ages 18 to 20 over in Japan as well. So it's like you come back wow, when you're so 16. You've been there I couldn't get away. Yeah. Three, I mean, they just, they just kept bringing me back. You've been there seven years? Seven, eight years of my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. When you come back, they're like, he's back. And Mike's like, man, this is the only place I feel at home. It's like if you're an undercover cop and you get totally in the life, you're like, I'm not comfortable here or at home. Forever different. Do you, do you have plans to get back there soon? I mean, I go back probably every other year uh, just for fun. I mean, people don't understand this. I think I told BK or JD or one of them, um, like, hey, we should do a league trip to Japan. It would be awesome. Uh, and they kind of just laughed it off. They're like, "We're not, we're not going to Japan. We're going to somewhere tropical, somewhere fun." Oh, I would. I've been telling I my would, wife it's where I want to go. No, it's, that would be incredible. It's, we should it's definitely the, do that. It's the best vacation I think anyone, like anyone who actually goes to Japan and then comes back, they all, they always, without a doubt, say that was the best vacation we've ever been on. They the got culture, like lots of tourists, the stuff food, there. the history. You know, it's just the the society. Like it's just totally different, but also so familiar at the same time. Uh, it's just a, it's a blast. It's a really fun place to visit. I feel like I feel like architecturally, I'm totally down with Japan. Low lines, simple, not a lot of craziness, and the food's awesome. Oh, the food, food is so good over there. Yeah, it's my favorite food for sure. 
We should go to Japan. Let's set a time. Sometime in the next, what, three years? Do a Japan trip? Yes. All right. Let's make it happen. Absolutely, yeah. Let's make it happen. Well, I feel like we're getting a little... We're getting away from the... We did New Zealand last year, not tropical. Yeah. It was more of an adventure trip. Yeah. Switzerland this year, right? Yeah. Or Europe. Switzerland is that what we're doing? Yeah, and for the people listening, we our company for high performers does a does a, a trip where we go somewhere in the world, and I, I've liked them because they started out being like vacations, like where you'd sit on the beach and relax, and it's turned into like you know bring These a jacket and a backpack yeah. and go experience something. Yeah, yeah, which is way awesome. more fun, by the way. Where's your favorite place you've ever been? I mean, you spent a lot of time in Japan, but you've been all over the place. Honestly, oh man, um, if it's not Japan. I would say Alaska. We did a. I've never been to Alaska. A summertime fishing trip in Alaska. Uh, just me and my brothers. Uh, we got a big family, right? Me and my brothers, uh, my brother-in-laws. We just did a boy trip up there for. How many kids? Are you your eight kids in your family? Yeah, yeah. I don't know how my mom did this, but eight individual pregnancies. I'm the seventh of eight. Wow. They must have seen me and been like, we can't end on that note. <laughs> you know, we need to have, <laughs> we need to have one, on one, one more. Um, but yeah, it's brother, high note. <laughs> brother, five sisters, myself and my little brother. Um, and uh, we're all married. Um, and so all the brothers and all the in-laws went to Alaska for a fishing excursion over there. And it was I mean, it's just, it's surreal. It's, it's like a, you're eating a, from a bowl of nature every single morning. Like we got out of the airport and we saw this bald eagle and we're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> a bald eagle. No and way. Then, and then we went to the pier and on the boat that we were taking to uh, go to Gustafus, which is like a little island where we went and uh, stayed for our fishing excursion. The boat had like nine bald eagles perched <laughs> on like, it. The <laughs> and then there was like whales and orcas and like all these things jumping throughout the ocean the whole time. I mean, it was just, it's just amazing. The water's probably out all there. clear and everything. It's clear, it's beautiful. Glacier Bay is just gorgeous. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's serene, it's, it's beautiful. Did you know that, that Alaska is the, the scene of one of the largest, actually, it might be the largest tsunami we've ever seen on planet Earth? Did I did you know not that? know that. Ty is very much up to speed oh, on his tsunamis he's lately. He's a trivia man right here. Yeah. Well, you live close to the ocean. I got to know what my risk is. You're not, first of all, you're not safe anywhere on the earth. Like the good Lord has made it so that everywhere you stand is somewhat <laughs> sketchy. But, you got to be humble. <laughs> no, there was like, there was like an earthquake that shook like the face of a mountain off and it, and it, and it hit this bay or something. And there was a fisherman out that somehow survived it. And it threw like a <laughs> 700 foot wave. They go like the 400 miles an hour. Yeah, what? Fisherman he lived survived it. I'll send you guys the, the documentary. It's on Netflix. Anyway. Was that fisherman being interviewed? Yeah, like, they, well, it was like timing, right? Because it was like, obviously, he didn't take his boat through a 700 foot right. wave. It was he, like where it was on the water, but it was like, he, the like, place. he caught the roller right before. Just telling it. you, man. Someday people are going to not make fun of me for my slight awareness of the tsunami risk living here. It's a, you know what? It's a it's real a, thing, dude. You're actually the Boston is the biggest okay. tsunami risk in the world. Yeah, the biggest natural disaster risk is is Boston okay. and New York for a tsunami. We can talk about it later. Or we talk about it now. Pitch, can good, you do your pitch luck, in man. Japanese? You know what? I've never had the privilege of of pitching to a Japanese person hear, in San Diego. We should hear a quick one. Man, I don't it's even It's like when a missionary talks it's, in church. It's, it's like, so bad. Yeah, because it's just all, all I know is you know, little teenage punk Japanese, and <laughs> and then my, my my religious Japanese right now. The juxtaposition. But yeah, it's it's a totally different game right there. So, yeah, pro- probably not. Probably I couldn't do it right off the top of my head. I have to, I have to sketch it out, write it up. The thing I like about Mike is uh, we were talking before about someone that can do both things, but in a little unconventional way. Not 
not unconventional, but you're not the, we've kind of as an industry moved away from the traditional, you know, like former athlete kind of guy. I'm not one of those. You're obviously one of those. I don't know. Me and Apollo. Right? I don't you're know. Yeah. Me and Apollo. <laughs> but the, uh, I, I like that you've found ways that, that, that match your personality to be successful in sales and in leadership. So you're a franchise rep, which means you're selling at the highest level in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are a leader on on our highest ranking team. So what do you think your contribution to your team is? What's the thing that you do? Um, my background is tech startups. Um, I was a founder, idea guy, uh, trying trying to make you know complicated solution or complicated problems and complicated processes more simple. Um, and that's probably what I bring best uh, to to the San Diego South office. I think yeah, this, that's well said, I agree with yeah, that. I think the San Diego South office before I got there, um, obviously we got Taylor Turnbull, uh, we got Taylor Judd, um, Dallin West in his heyday. It, it was a powerhouse, right? Like those guys could outwork, I think anyone else in the market, but it was um, just a little bit chaotic. And uh, I think I brought a level of simplicity and a level of systems that wasn't there previously. Well, those guys are all really talented people. Oh, for sure. That are like unconsciously competent, right? It's really oh, hard. Absolutely. It's really hard to to put your finger on what works, but it does work. But if one of them gets hit by a car, how do you tell the new guy in there these are the things that this person did? Yeah. How do you make it somewhat repeatable? You know? You're like, I actually am going to need you to be as charismatic as Taylor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you can just do the charisma thing that Taylor does, yeah. you know, then we'll be good. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's, it's actually a really nice balance, I feel like. Um, Taylor Turnbull is perhaps the best motivator, I think, of anyone I've ever met in my entire life. Just a natural born leader. I always joke with him. I'm like, dude, if there was a war, we all got drafted. I would really want to be in your squadron because <laughs> I feel like you would protect me, you would guide me, you'd do yeah. everything the right way. Um, I think uh, Taylor Judd is just a flag bearer. I, you know, I, I like to joke with him that he's the lid popper uh, going off of Maxwell's le- levels of leadership. Um, he, he was the first of us to hit franchise. He's always been like the top guy recruiting, leading from the front, just kind of, you know, uh, being at the forefront of the uh, the charge, I guess you could say, uh, would definitely be the first one to die in the war. But nonetheless, <laughs> but it would be awesome. Like he would be right there, leading the charge. Stay with the war analogy. The, the tip of the spear, You're, as they say. He's just screaming to follow him and just takes a bullet to the head immediately, dead. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I'm I'm just like the tactician back here. Um, I'm you know I'm making sure that it's all organized, making sure that the the systems are there, it's dialed, um, and uh, between the three of us, we have a really, really solid group. Um, and then we have a level just below us of these up-and-coming leaders like Eric O, Ellis Guest, um, and probably 10 or 15 other people who are, I mean, they're just, they're right at the cusp of this amazing leadership opportunity and not, I don't know, something about Sunrun is, I don't think there's another sales leadership opportunity that exists like outside of this. Uh, it's not only the caliber of individuals, but also just the the financial opportunity alone. It's been an amazing ride thus far, and we're really excited to see how far we can take this. Well, as the tactician, what went wrong in the bigs? Man, that's one of those that's one of those Adam hard hitting questions right there. Um, 
it. Listen, uh, if if you can't give me at least some moment of gloating <laughs> interview in a San Diego I South need to, DM, I need to like take like the metaphorical mantle and just place it on your guys' shoulders <laughs> now, or or the crown. I was gonna least. ask you. I was trying to think what to say. I was gonna ask you what's it like losing, but then I, I was afraid. <laughs> like, I was afraid. I was afraid. That's my that's my mic off. I was right afraid there. he was out. gonna go. I don't know. You tell me. You, you have lost more. Three years in a row. You have more experience than we yeah, do. So I'm trying to think carefully how to phrase this. You know. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. It was um, more surreal, uh, as well as a wake-up call. Um, well, and to give our listeners a background, yeah. so the Bigs is like our big company, team versus team, national tournament every year. Everybody ramps up, and up until this year, the San Diego South team was the only team that had ever won the Bigs. You guys were four-time champions? Of our biggest division. Yeah, yeah. four-time champions. Of our, of our, our biggest division. division. Four-time, four-time repeat champion. And then the, one of the teams that I work closely with, Boston North, was a three-time runner-up, or two-time runner-up. Yeah, always up, in right? contention. And so, um, yeah, we just finished the bigs. The bigs. And I, I, I don't remember, I didn't really pay attention this year, but I think San Diego let Boston win. And <laughs> I really <laughs> It was better for the company. You got to balance it Whenever no, Ty doesn't win, he always acts like, he's like, oh, like, I didn't even realize what's happening. He's like, I didn't even realize what's happening. Hey, well, no, but on, on the real, huge shout out to Go- the Don Gomez, to Kenzie, to um, everyone else in that organization. I mean, you guys just brought it. Like, honestly, you guys brought it. You deserve to win this year. Um, it was an, it's an, been an amazing ride the last three years, you know, going head to head with you guys. And uh, another huge shout out is to Baco, yeah. um, Co. man. Those guys landed a haymaker. They did. From seriously 20 miles away that nobody saw coming. Yeah. No. No one Straight saw that Straight to the coming. chin. So here's here's the thing. We, in a sense, we're complacent. We we uh, and it, it goes back to leadership, and actually uh, probably falls on my shoulders the most because I'm the tactician, right? Um, but I think all three of us, you know, we looked at this oppor- you know, we looked at the bigs, and we said, okay, we've got a really good game plan. Let's let's come up with a game plan. The game plan was 150 welcome calls in week one. Uh, so the game plan is actually, we're not taking the regular season seriously. We just didn't feel like it was worth it to invest that amount push of energy. Push the team. To push the you team. You want them to peak in the playoffs. Exactly. And that's been and our strategy the, and the, for the last and the couple preseason, years. And the regular season was long. Yeah. Right? It was long. So um, we didn't want to push the team too hard. We wanted to peak in the playoffs because last year, Chicago, you know, they had that exact opposite effect and they just faltered in the middle of the playoffs. They just smoked playoffs, everyone right? regular season. Yeah. But then they lost, they lost, they had, they used all their gas right up at that yep. point. Um, and then, yeah, and then we had a really good game plan. And uh, we just figured if we stick to the game plan, we're going to win uh, kind of a thing. And, uh, and the, the, the weird thing is we actually did stick to the game plan. We did 150 welcome calls in, in week one. We were planning on doing 200 or 250 in, in week two against you guys because uh, we figured that was going to be like the matchup to determine the bigs. And then we were going to do um, another 200 in, uh, in week three against Boston Central or Fresno um, and, uh, and then call it good. And then we we're just going to be five feet champions, roll forward to next year, you know, keep recruiting, keep building the team and uh, just never lose. That's kind of been our thing is we don't lose. And we lost. And uh, yeah, major props to the, to the two teams that beat us, um, or I guess all the teams that beat us because we went out in the first round. But Stir and Co., they did an amazing job coming out of nowhere on a Saturday with 78 welcome calls. I mean, throwing up big numbers. We weren't, we weren't slacking off. We weren't pushing, no. but we weren't slacking off. We the did crazy, 50. The crazy thing is you guys got to a point where you could, like, for the teams that are listening to this, it's, it's, I, th- I feel like too often sales leaders 
put in the effort and then just kind of say, well, okay, well, we'll see how much we can do. As if, as if the amount of sales you get is some like thing that the universe will determine. Instead of saying, hey, well, okay, here's the plan. We gotta do 150, then we're gonna do 200. And then you reverse engineer it to say, okay, you got two, you got two, you got three, you got one. And you can actually do that. And yeah. I think that one of the things about your team that's led to the success is we looked at it the other day, we presented our business plans and you can see the early, the early like quarters of the team's existence. The, the quarter end numbers kind of varied a little bit. Like, and they, they would swing actually. And then since they kind of got in and started working on their structure, they've been over 300 for like multiple years running. And you can actually, and then they have a plan to say, okay, this is how many we're going to do. This is how many we're going to do. This is how many we're going to do. And, an act- and, it, and it's coming to fruition. So from a, somebody that does take a tactical approach to the job, what advice would you have for teams to help them predict their success and switch from this mindset of, well, we'll do the best we can? Yeah. I think the main thing, and this is something that I learned from Taylor, um, I think he embodies this principle more than, um, than anyone else I know, is just being intentional about things. Um, I think a lot of guys, just like you said, they just, they just say, hey, look, we got a lot of firepower. We're just going to throw what we can at the wall and see what sticks. Um, it's, it's not going to work nearly as well if you just simply go back and say, okay, why are we doing this job? Okay, now we understand the why what's the goal that's going to correlate with that way? What, what's, the, what's the number, what's the, what's, the, what's the actual metric that if we achieve it, we'll have achieved our why? Yeah. Um, so like if it's financial independence, is that 500 grand? Is that $10 million? What, what's rental what's properties, the what is it? Yeah, yeah. What does it mean? And so you got you to gotta figure out the why of your, why you're doing the job, and then you set goals around the why, and then you can be really intentional about, okay, you just, like you talked about, you can reverse engineer it and you can say, okay, in order to get to 25 installs a quarter, um, based off of my skill set, what I'm able to do, this is my weekly schedule for the whole quarter. And, uh, and, then, you, and then it just kind of works like clockwork. Um, if you're intentional about your goals, you can always achieve them. Um, and that's something that we, we live by uh, down at the San Diego South. Until someone came along with bigger goals like uh, like Stir and uh, D- and Don and all those other guys, they've just they've been an amazing uh, competition for us. And it's and it's the the important part that we've realized is just kind of a wake up call. We can't be so complacent down the South. Um, it's kind of like the Golden State Warriors losing, you know, against Cleveland three one or two three years ago, right? So um, yeah, that's that's kind of what we realized. And this next year, we gotta. Well, come together and, I, and go from there. I'm sure I can speak for the guys from Baco too, but especially the Boston guys um, and the Boston Central team. You, San Diego South has pushed the other teams in the company to a level I think that they didn't realize they could maybe achieve. Yeah. And so, um, and to 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 run in the front of the race is much more difficult than to mm-hmm. chase someone, right? It's like when you're running at the front, like you don't know if your pace is good. You don't know how fast you're actually going. But when you're chasing someone, it's easy to see if you're keeping up or you're lagging behind or I whatever. Totally right? I totally so the same thing. So, um, I mean, I can say for, for me personally and the guys on the East Coast, you know, we are really appreciative of what you guys do down there because it's pushed them to a, a really high level. And... Um, frankly, it's given them a rallying call for a couple of years now. You know what I mean? And and it's like last year, uh, I mean, it was a somewhat controversial finals, right? We did like a, a, a two-week or yeah. whatever, like final and like, um, I mean. Auditing accounts. It was a lot of, lot of like account auditing and just create. I mean, 
It was controversial, and they guess, were. Guess whose job it was to audit the accounts? By the way. <laughs> and it was, and it was, it was, it was really emotional for those guys. For sure. And was, so, yeah. I mean, the moment that you guys were declared the winners, I mean, it was like the next correlation meeting. It's all they talked about for the next ten months or yeah. whatever, you know. And it was like everyone they hired, everyone. I mean, it was very intentional. So. Well, that's what I love about about Don and about Kenzie is is we knew that it wasn't going to deflate their sales by any, by any like a loss mm-hmm. last year was not going to deflate their sales at all. Um, they were just going to go hard no matter what. So we were also intentional. The, maybe not the, the very next correlation, but probably two or three correlations after, it was all about 5 Pete. And that was kind of our goal all year was 5 Pete. And again, we were intentional about it. Our plans were just off. Um, the, the goals that we set were just below what we needed to set and the game plan that we came up with was just you know was was not sufficient to win the bigs this year and that's that's a big that's a big uh, thing I think well, for, for Baco and for, for Boston you you guys got to a point and this happens in sports every now and again where the competition stops believing it's possible to beat them yeah and I think that you guys got to that point where it's like other teams started doubting if it was possible to beat you guys and and then of course the story like they must be doing something they must be like flying in all the directors to sell like <laughs> it's like because no one wants to believe that there there's a team we actually that recruited much, dave matson yeah, you know, but then when 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 bako all of a sudden beat you guys it was like if you've ever seen rocky four yeah when drago gets cut like when rocky cuts him and they're like He's not a machine. Like yeah. he's a man, you know. Like that's what it was like. And like all of a sudden, we we're like, "What just happened?" And like, you know. And all of a sudden, Drago like goes down, you know. And the cool thing about it is, you guys have done like because it was that intense. Like it was mm-hmm. to the point where like, and everybody watched it. But you know, you also have the other side of you know people feel like they're unbeatable. But then you get to the point where it's like, how are they going to behave if they if they lose? Like what yeah. happens in that situation? And this is what I think is awesome. There's a difference between a, an effective vision that propels people and something that you define yourselves by, right? Yeah. So you guys, you obviously use this victory and, and pull together and we don't lose and all that kind of stuff. But when you did lose, it was awesome to see the team be like, okay, you know what? This is a game and it's a really fun game and it works really well. But you guys got wins consecutively every single week since the bigs. And I'm actually not sure, and I'm sure San Diego's listening to this, I'm not sure which I prefer. Winning the bigs is amazing, but you guys would go so hard that your body's like shut down for a couple of weeks after because it's so intense. Yeah. Well, here you played at the highest level and then you backed it off 10% and you keep surpassing your wins. So I don't actually know what equals more volume for you guys. I think you've evolved in the way you play the game and then keep the the perspective that this was a welcome distraction. But it's not like we're crushed. It's not like we don't know who we are without the bigs. It was a game and well, you and quickly got back to work. That's the thing, right? Like, obviously, the bigs is a big part of our culture, for sure. Um, and But it's not the biggest part of our culture, right? The biggest part of our culture is we want to be the top installing office each and every quarter, no matter how that goes. And so for, for, uh, for Kenzie and for, for Don and for Stir and Co. and for everyone else, that's going to be the next crown that we want someone to take from us, is, or at least to try to take from us at the very least, is to be the, the number one installing office uh, year after year after year. And so that's, that's a big part of our why. That's a big part of our identity at the same time. 
Um, and uh, it's something that we're going to keep striving for. And whether it's the rally, whether it's the bigs, whether it's um, any of their awesome competitions that the sales marketing team splits on for us, um, we're going to try to win all those for sure because we don't lose. But at the same time, the main thing that we don't want to lose is being the number one installing office. Um, that's, that's kind of the title that we hold the highest, I think, over anything else. Got it. Talk to me for a second. Your team has been through an evolution that I don't think most people have seen. And I don't even know if it's an evolution. It's like a remodel, mm -hmm. right? You're living in a house that's great and you make a couple changes to make it better. But one of the things that this team was doing, Adam, that you might not have seen is they used to divide their responsibilities by league level. So Mike would handle like the combine guys and like Judd would handle like the like- Letterman and starters. Yeah, yeah. And, and they had it divvied up like that. And it was a good system and it worked well and you guys were winning. Yeah. Um, and we came in and said, okay, the part of the problem with a structure like that is it, it's, it's one, it's a lot of work to have only combine guys. It's hard to really grow. It's hard to, it got to a point where it was really hard to measure value and everybody had a different idea as to what was most valuable on a team. So we made a switch to, hey, let's run squads and everybody be responsible for a certain amount of volume. And these guys have evolved it even further. So talk about that evolution, because I think if, if teams aren't running squads now, they will be in the future. We've seen it over and over again that that's really the way to grow a team is to get more people leading more people. So talk about that, because you guys are a real success story with making that work and, and, a, and a little bit of fear to change something that was working well. Yeah. Um, so it actually kind of goes back to what you were talking yesterday on, on your training that you gave, Ty. Uh, for those who weren't able to watch it, uh, Ty talked about defending his honor, I guess you could say. Value. Defending his value. Yeah. What's, the right, what's the right word? Yeah. Yeah, so defending value. If, maybe give a quick, like a quick 30 second recap of what you talked about yesterday and then, and then I can kind of use that to explain yeah. why, what, what, how, we, how we use that to kind of pivot our own success. Sure. So I had an experience with my previous job um, when I was running an alarm region. And um, I worked really hard and the thing that I was good at was, was culture and systems and implementation. I was good at the other things too. I was a good recruiter and a good seller, but that was probably my strong suit. And so I, I spent time doing all these things to help the team be successful. But at the end of the run, one of the disagreements that we had with our leadership team was I found myself defending my value. They were like, okay, well, you didn't do as many accounts. And I was like, well, the things that I did help the other teams do more accounts. And it was a crappy place to be. Nobody wants to add value to the team and then at the end have to justify the value that they added. And so the point of the training was I made a decision to never be in a situation where I'd have to defend the value that I add, yeah. basically. And that's, that's essentially the exact same uh, position that we found ourselves in last year where we had four DMs at the time. Um, we had up to, I think, six DMs at one point and everyone was kind of looking at each other, thinking that they were underperforming uh, below their potential. But if you heard Jordan has a quote that's really good that says that we often overvalue ourselves because we value the thing that we're best at exactly. as the most important thing and that we do that to, to protect ourselves. Jordan, Jordan, he says stuff like that. It's amazing. Yeah. And then I like write it down and remember it. But we do. So it's like for me, well, culture is the most important because how do you retain if you don't have good culture? And how do you, have, how do you actually grow if you don't have systems? So what I do is more important. And then someone else is like, well, I'm the best seller ever, so obviously sales are the most important. Yeah, exactly. And I think what we took away with most this last year um, was the leadership triangle versus the one dimensional leader um, that we were all kind of being accustomed to. So like we talked about, I was the tactician guy. I was making sure that all these new reps were growing, were being successful, were getting their accounts progressed, um, and were graduating out of you know, these early levels of sales development. Uh, and were able to kind of live on their own. 
And then Judd would take them, and he was supposed to take them uh, and show them like how to work really, really hard. And then Turnbull was there to motivate like the very best of the best, while at the same time being like the best recruiter. Um, and it worked really well. Obviously, we grew the office tremendously, but we were all kind of looking at each other, thinking, uh, "I'm not sure if if uh, this person deserves this much, this amount of um, percentage of the office, or this amount of respect, or this amount of um, equity." And so uh, we had to have really hard conversations. Um, and I guess that would be my first piece of advice to everyone: is these hard conversations. A lot of times, people try to avoid hard conversations, and it just allows you to fester like that negative resentment more than anything else. Um, I think, especially with a lot of our culture, we have a lot of like athletes, a lot of you know hardcore dominant male personalities who don't want to talk about like their their uh, their weaknesses or um, anything that they find shameful. And uh, that's one thing that I think is a really important thing for all leaders to to understand is. Being able to share your weaknesses is not a weakness, right? It's actually a source of strength. We're being able to, to reflect and to recognize what you do really well, what you bring to the table, and also um, try to understand where you know the critique of what you can do to improve. Well, and the crazy thing is, you're not sharing something that people don't know. A lot of times, when you're hoarding a weakness, everybody else already knows. It's just <laughs> you that haven't come to grips with it, and so you think you're hiding something that's going to make you more vulnerable. Yeah. When really your influence increases when you're like, listen, I'm not the best at this, and everyone else is like. Yeah, we know. Yeah. yeah. Right. I actually think it, it helps you gain more respect from your peers if you're Absolutely. willing to admit, hey, here's what I'm not great at. I think if we can get some yin and yang with the way that we're approaching this, you know, we'll have more success. Or be patient with me while I'm learning how to get better at this kind of stuff, you know. Or don't be afraid to give me feedback. I'm open to it and I want to hear it, you know. Yeah. So on that vein, Adam, I actually have a couple of critiques for you. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you Bring brought it. that up. <laughs> so no, but um, so it was really helpful for us um, to be able to all come together around a table. There was some kind of there was an event that happened last year, and it allowed us all to really open up with each other. And uh, and long story short, from that, from those early conversations, we realized, hey, we got to change the structure of the office. Not in like a minor tweak type of a way, but a significant change, um, and really reorganize and remodel like like Ty was talking about um, the whole house. So we didn't just do a, a room addition. I mean, we we went to the studs. Yeah, of, you changed the foundation. And I mean, we went down to the studs. We changed every room and uh, remodeled the whole thing. And uh, so that's that's piece of advice number one. Piece of advice number two is to hire a general contractor, I guess you could say. And, uh, <laughs> and the best person that we had at our disposal was actually you, Ty. Um, you played a very critical role uh, in allowing us to, to help us reflect on our own weaknesses and our own strengths, uh, to help us realize you know, what we were able to bring to the table. And just up to that point, um, what each of us were able to contribute, and specifically uh, how we should divvy up, I guess you could say, the office into squads. It was a really difficult thing for all of us to trust. Well, think about this. There was 80 people on that team, and there was no squads, like no ownership. So how do you say to somebody, you get 20 people on your squad, you get 40? And which people? Think about that. Like, that really matters to say, okay, I am going to put Ellis Guest on your squad, who's now a squad leader. Mm -hmm. And then in the future, what happens if Ellis grows and has to exit a squad, what do we do? You guys, I mean, yeah, we talked, I I sat at a different 
spot because I was I wasn't in the ship. I was looking at the ship. You're able to right? be objective about it. I was it. able to be objective, yeah. And but you guys really had the maturity to handle it because and I think you knew internally like the 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 value grabbing and claiming was not making us happy. No. And you Sean Branchley always says that systems are perfectly designed to get the results they're getting. So you knew how to run a 300 account team and your system was perfectly designed for it. But is it a 500 account no. team? Yeah, right? exactly. And that's what we want to shoot for is we want to shoot for 400 accounts a quarter this year and then 500 accounts a quarter next year. And the only way we were able to make that happen was to really introspectively look at ourselves, figure out what our weaknesses are, and then figure out a new system with Ty's help um, to, to be able to grow to that level. So what we ended up implementing was something called squads. Um, we worked, uh, we initially divvied up the team based off of the office percentages that uh, the four leaders had. And the idea was that your squad is responsible for 70 plus installs a quarter. That was, that was the idea. Um, if you did more, then you got rewarded proportionately. Uh, if you did less, then you got rewarded proportionately. Um, and what would happen is after every quarter, if your squad was doing a certain amount um, and it was growing and growing, you could then have another conversation about having more office equity, et cetera. And so the equity portion was, wasn't, was no, it, was like, it wasn't just purely static anymore, which is what I think a lot of the leadership in, in, in Sunrun and in Vimit Solar were struggling with was, how do I gain more equity in my office? Um, and if you have a static equity pool, it's really difficult to go quarter to quarter and say, I deserve more or I deserve less because maybe last quarter I did, I did uh, franchise, but the quarter before that, I barely it's like adjusting. Up. It's like changing your contract after every game. Exactly. You don't want to always do that. Sometimes you do and sometimes you do not. Yeah. You know? Like if you're Scottie Pippen, you wanted to. Right. <laughs> but if you're Michael Jordan, on the other hand, you probably also want to. Jordan's not a good example of it. But anyway, sure. you, know, you know what the analogy is. So bottom line is, um, what we ended up doing was we ended up splitting into squads. We ended up making half of the office equity static based off of our current office percentages, and the other half of it be dynamic um, based off of how we grow our squads. And the bigger and better you grow your squad and the more installs your individual squad does, um, the larger and larger of a portion of that pool that you can then receive. Um, in addition to that, another thing that we lost last year, uh, not I wouldn't say lost, I would say we, it was a sweet and sour relish, I guess you could say, um, is- <laughs> Go on. Is we, uh, <laughs> we promoted uh, about 12 people uh, in the last two years, either out of our office or into leadership positions within our office. We, we got, I mean, just amazing people have been on the podcast, right? Like Castle Keeler, Jason, um, Grant, Scott Coon. I mean, just tons and tons of people that had they still been here in the San Diego South office, you can imagine how much more difficult it would have been to beat us. <laughs> but uh, we were able to promote them and get them in really, really good positions because we didn't have systems in place to let them grow underneath us. And that was something that was a really hard pill to swallow. I mean, if you have a guy like Castle Keeler, like obviously you want him in your office at all costs. But the one cost that we weren't willing to take is his own personal development. And obviously putting him over in Fresno, having him take that little pirate skiff that he was on and turning <laughs> it into a flagship office uh, just in the last year and a half. So major props to the castle. That guy is next yeah. level leader, right? Um, it was obviously the right call for, for the company and for himself, um, but it still stings a little bit to think that, hey, what he did, he probably could have done, but to a lesser extent, 
under the old San Diego South um, office structure. But now that we have the squad set up and this, this leadership development program kind of set up in our, in our culture, and it's a part of our culture, um, I don't think that we're going to have to lose anyone. We may still promote from, you know, to other markets, but I don't think it's going to be as big of a deal to have someone stay within and grow internally and to help grow that San Diego South sales force uh, so that we can hit not only 300, 400 installs a quarter, but 500 and 600 installs a quarter as well um, in the next year or two. Yeah, you guys do a great job at looking forward. And I hope that that was, I mean, that's probably a piece that will get replayed over and over again. If, you're, if your team is getting to the point now where you wonder what you're gonna do with the next level up and comers, where you wonder how you're going to make sure that everybody is, is properly incentivized and properly rewarded, that's a great explanation of, of how to do it because what you're talking about is the way the offices will look in the future. We've been saying for a long time, Boston's probably not a team, it's probably a region three years from now right? Same with San Diego, same with Orange County, same with LA, same with Concord, right? You look at all these places and it's like, really, what is a, a region? Well, it's about, I don't know, 10 to 15 leaders with 10 to 15 little squads under them, which would equal about four teams under today's definition. Yeah. So I think you guys have done a great job at planning ahead. And I, I appreciate that. Like as somebody that gets to work with you guys, you're constantly, you, you've kind of been the example, you and your partners of, hey, how does this thing look in the future? And we can kind of watch it and be like, that worked. You should do what they did, right? So um, we're, about, we're about at time, but wanted to thank you for coming on. This has been a fun conversation for me. Absolutely, um, yeah. I, I remember our first conversation that we had recruiting you um, as a secondary, like- Just right, over, right down the street, dude. My, yeah. wife, my wife's parents used to live in Laguna Beach and every now and then they would come and they'd do this big family vacation. They'd rent out this big house. And that house has since converted into a restaurant the restaurant where Mike Evans and I had our first recruiting meeting. No so I'm kidding. just like looking around like, hey, I used to sleep in that <laughs> kitchen. Right? And here you are, dude. So congratulations yeah. on all your success and thank you so awesome. much for sharing. Absolutely, anytime. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.